situation is no matter how big the storm no matter how high the sea gets around us we know he's in our boat sometimes he needs to be awakened or maybe he's not in your boat and he needs to be invited there because he sure can't sail these stormy seas without him you gotta have Jesus I wouldn't know what to do without him today we have many many that are sick not able to be in service with us they're streaming today they would love to be here and I send my greetings out to them in our new year service today first service that I will speak this month and to you of course the seen audience kind of takes me back to maybe the early 90s or something as far as our congregation size but you know it really doesn't matter how many that there are if it's two or three he said I'll be there in the midst and I'll tell you what I promised him a long time ago that I'd do my best no matter what kind of what size audience it was I remember preaching over Mississippi to a group of I think there were eight of us and I was one of the eight my wife was also present and so I guess I was preaching to six you know because we as far as someone knew but anyway I preached just like I'd preached to a thousand because I figured if God couldn't trust me to do my best with eight, he sure couldn't trust me to do my best with a thousand. See, you know, the numbers doesn't matter. What matters is this, he's present and he's able to meet your need. I'm speaking to people today around the world. Some of them are just little family units. Some of them are, you know, large family units or single people. Some of them are in situations, their church is in such a terrible shape, they can't go there no more. They got despotic pastors that are abusive and they can't go preaching false doctrines. I hear from them. And they say, Brother Tim, you know, we receive strength from what you preach. You know, I, I'm sorry they're in that condition. I, I'm sorry that there are trouble like that in the world. 
But all we're wanting to do today is come in by the Holy Spirit and bring them a word of encouragement to lift them up, to encourage the bride of Christ wherever they are, to just get in step. Just get in step. God's moving. He's doing wonderful things. I've got a couple of prayer requests, or actually prayer cloths. One's I'm going to be sending to sister, a sister in Trinidad. Sister Sita, she has a need. Her foot won't heal. She listens to our services there from Trinidad. And there's, there's another little sister Maria that you heard from Finland, a mother. Her husband and her have both desperately reached out to her, for, to us for her. She's got a fighting anxiety and can't sleep at night and an awful oppression of the enemy. The children of God shouldn't have to go through those kind of things. Not when we got a healer like we do, a deliverer like we have. And I believe we can believe the prayer of faith today. That when these prayer cloths are laid on them, that they will be healed. I'm going to say the same thing to you, our church family that is listening in that can't be here today. And you're sick in your body. Maybe a loved one can just lay hands on you or someone nearby. Or maybe you're by yourself. Whatever, may God lay his hand on you. And today, may healing virtues flow from the throne of grace. Father, in the name of Jesus. Thou knowest every need that would be among us. We're just asking, Lord, that you would just come today and show yourself alive after your passion, your suffering that you did for us on the cross. For we know, Lord, that you paid for this foot condition when those nails were put in your feet. We know, Lord, when you were beaten and a crown of thorns put on your head that all of the fear and anxiety problems and everything else, you paid for it. Lord, we know, oh God, when you took the stripes upon your body that you paid for every need that there could be, whether it be from cancer to COVID to flu to RSV to weakness, whatever it is. And we bind the power of the enemy today in the name of Jesus Christ. And as we send out these prayer cloths to this, these ones in Trinidad and Finland, Lord, may we hear back from them. By his stripes I have been healed. The evil spirit that has tormented me has left my body, and I am well. Lord, we know you're the same yesterday, today, and forever, that you never fail to keep your word and your promise. And we're here, Lord, today in 2024 in our first service, Lord, to proclaim the name of Jesus and to lift it high and to encourage the saints of God to press on in this stage of the journey. May we take another step forward. I ask it in the name of Jesus. We love you, Lord. Now anoint us by your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. God bless you. If you'll turn to Psalms chapter 62, I'm going to read some verses there in the scripture. You're going to be seeing on the screen the King James. I'm using a little different version, but you know, it's the word of God. The word of God is the word of God, no matter if we say it or paraphrase it or, 
or whatever, you know, it's the word of God is still prevails. It's the truth that we're looking there in the word. Amen. So if you will turn with me to Psalm chapter 62, we're going to read from verse one there. And um, we uh, trust the Lord will bless us today. Amen. We want to welcome each one of you in the name of the Lord. And glad to have Brother William Smith here with us today. And and uh, he and Sister Abigail plan a marriage this, this year over in March. So may God bless them with their future. And I know that the year 2024 holds a lot of great joys for us all. We don't know what all we will face in it, but we just know who holds our hand. Amen. Asking God's blessings. Amen. Upon you all. Amen. Um, Let's turn to Psalms 62 and verse 1. And it says, I will wait quietly before God, for my victory comes from him. Can you say amen to that? He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I will never be shaken. Amen. That reminds me of Psalms 27 where Brother Brandon pulled the rapture sermon from. And, you know, of of, uh, there being our fortress and our rock. Verse 3, so many enemies against one man, all of them trying to kill me. To them, I'm just a broken down wall or a tottering fence. Now, that's what they think. But our fortress is the Lord. They plan to topple me from my high position. They delight in telling lies about me. They praise me to their face, but curse me in their hearts. Let all that I am wait quietly before God, for my hope is in him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I will not be shaken. My victory and honor come from God alone. He is my refuge, a rock where no enemy can reach me. Oh, my people, trust in him at all times. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Verse 11. God has spoken plainly, and I've heard it many times. Power, O God, belongs to you. Unfailing love, O Lord, is yours. Surely you repay all people according to what they have done. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. For my New Year's message this morning, I would like to address you as a part of the Bride of Christ. Those of you that are assembled here today and Those of you that are watching online, our church, local, our church online, and those around the world, those that are viewing this service today. And, you know, when we, I will speak, I kind of like to do this sometimes on the first of the year, much like um, in our country, we have the State of the Union address. And there will be an address from our president that will tell us the, the state of the union as he sees it. And I think of that many times as I approach um, a New Year's message like I have today is 
not, not so much a state of the union of the United States, but of course, um, the, the state of uh, where we are in the journey. You know, as the calendar would turn, we will often look at it and we, we kind of like to know what just lies ahead. You know, I uh, have had opportunity a lot of times to sit down with elders um, and, and hear, try to get wisdom from them and say, what do you expect? What do we look for? And today I'm going to be speaking to you on this present stage of the journey. And I, I want to just picture this as if we are traveling along and like many times with my family that we would do and the kids were little and all be in the car and, you know, the journey would get long and it would be wearisome and, uh, you know, everybody was ready to get to where we were going. And we would hear the, the, I would hear the children pipe up someone in the back and say, Daddy, how much farther? Or maybe another and say, are we there yet? And, you know, we, as we look at this today, I think that is naturally some of our questions as we come upon this journey. And of course, you could say in one way, we have been journeying as a people since Eden. And another way is Christianum, we have been journeying since Pentecost. And, and, um, and of course, in, as us as message believers, we can look at different landmarks and places of where we have been in the journey. Maybe where, maybe where you joined in, as it were, a bus going down and you got on at a certain stop. And of course, we know along some of those stops, some got off. And some went on to their reward and others went off and found a place back out in the world that suited them better. And, uh, you know, but anyway, nevertheless, we have a destiny, and there is an end to the journey, and that end is coming up. And, and of course, we are looking to know where are we in this journey? Just how much further do we have to go? And I look over and see some of you that are past 70, and, and, and you've reached your three score and 10. And, um, you know, you, you know there's not much time left in your journey here upon the earth. And, um, and of course, as we look here, we know also you could be just a young person, maybe a teenager or whatever that, you know, we have been along long, long enough to know that it's not just the old that goes on, but teenagers and sometimes children and sometimes, um, you know, young mothers or dads or whatever. You know, there's, 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 there's trouble and strife and things that happens along life's journey. And of course, part of that is just being human because we are, should I say, mortal because of the immortality that was forced upon us because of Adam's decision. Now, as far as the world that we live in, you can certainly see the bills are coming due in 2024. 
lot of bills are coming due. Their debts are high, and they have put them off as far as they can. And we have spent until the debt ceiling has reached limits that is unimaginable. And the debts that we have made in society, uh, too, will have to be paid. And many of them will be paid this year. Experts are predicting um, bank failures and a great reset. Um, that, you know, that your money will be more devalued and will buy less. And all the time uh, causing hardships upon you. Housing experts are predicting a housing crash that it can't continue to keep going higher and higher and higher. That at some point there has to be a correction and comes, things come back to more of a real, more realistic um, figure. And, and of course, when we look at, at the world that we live in, um, with uh, the, the, the world conditions, we have a weak America. We have a China that is ready to pounce on Taiwan and, and claim it for their own. And then we have Israel right now in the Middle East that is, that is clawing through another attempted holocaust and trying to root out an enemy that they had turned a blind eye to in, in hopes of achieving a peace, but it was a false hope. And then we have Iran that is um, poised to finish uh, its atomic weaponry and has proxy fighters employed everywhere. And um, you have um, them with their proxy fighters, the, the Houthis and whatever's sending their bombs and sending their drones and stopping ships in the, and, and, and commerce and, and uh, threatening world peace. Then we have Russia that is angry about America's proxy war using Ukraine and, and um, they're, they're angry and, and they're, they're making their moves and they also, uh, there will be m much, much debt to be paid coming up in this year. 2024 is another election year and America is so divided that no matter who wins, there will be the chance of a civil war. I don't know how big or how small, but, you know, there's going to be somebody unhappy no matter who wins. And, and to do, there will be disruption. In this day, the right is vilified by the left, and the left has gained dominance. And you have, you know, the, the, the stoking of racial fires until the blacks threaten the whites and the whites threaten the blacks and, no, and, and nobody likes the Asians. And then you have the, the gays who threaten those who are straight and Sodom has become emboldened and transgenders announce that they're coming after your kids. And so, you know, it's a, it's a very treacherous time in this journey. You know, it's kind of like um, in the journey, you're passing through a bad neighborhood. And, and, and uh, you're, you're, you're uh, everywhere that you look, there is calamity from hijackings and threats of, of rioting on the streets or uh, boycotts or this or that or the other. And, you know, it's all that's going on as we look around. And, 
And we wonder sometimes, you know, that we can't help but breathe. Where are we at in this journey? And I think in Isaiah 21 and 11, um, there was there was the prophet Isaiah who said, the burden of Duma, he calleth me out of seer, watchman, what of the night? Watchman, what of the night? And the watchman said, the morning cometh and also the night. If you will inquire, inquire, return, come. And of course, as we're looking around, it's getting darker and darker as there is approaching danger. And hell itself is coming here upon the earth, getting ready for the actual coming of its king, which will be cast out of heaven, amen, and come down to the earth knowing that it has but a short time. You know, here again, Brother Branham saw it in the vision coming. Um, as uh, he saw it um, visualized in that vision, materialized in a giant mamba snake. And the whole world was shaking under its influence. And even here in America, that was once the beacon of Christianity, and freedom is now dying. And, and it has been bitten by the snake, as it were, and the whole world is shaking and and the civilization that you live in is crumbling around you because it's dying. And, and, and of course, we long for the day that somebody might see its head finally crushed. And that the dead in Christ will rise for their bodies are still, even today, held under the curse and decay. And we long to be among those as we sigh. Oh, to be among those who are alive and remain to the coming of the Lord. So, you see, we could go on hour after hour painting this picture and knowing that all the prophets prophesied of this day and, and we, we hear the, it screamed out, Watchmen, what of the night? And yet, the Pentagon doesn't have an answer. The United States and our government has no answer. Uh, no matter who you get in or who you elect, they cannot, they cannot find the solution to the world's trouble that we're in. We, whether it's our allies in Germany or our perceived enemies in Russia, none of them have the answer. Science does not have the answer. They have, even in, in, in our days, released from their laboratories, their experiments that is, has brought to us horrible diseases of COVID that killed millions and wrecked economies. And they don't have the answer. And, and, but I, I want you to know there that real true watchman is the Holy Spirit. And he has the answer. And we, we can cry out to him, watchman, what of the night? And I want you to know the watchman on the wall says, it is time to go up. We are nearing the end of the journey. And you as a people are under an eagle anointing. And it is time that you leave the nest. That you get out of your comfort zone and you fly and spread your wings and fly 
to enter into, into the realms of the blessed where all things are possible, where the supernatural is real to you and you experience it yourself. And a people that know their God do exploits. Of course, we know as an eagle that an eagle flies higher than most other birds. He's built for the heights. He's special built for the altitude that he flies in. And I want you to know that God has equipped you. As we walk on this journey and seemingly in snail pace, that we're about to take an astronaut ride and leave the realm that we are in because the end of this road, you know, ends all of the walkings and the trials and the testings of this life. And from here, we go and change dimensions. But you see, God likens prophets to the eagles. They, they also are God's watchmen. They're carried up in the heights of the spirit. And with spiritual eyes, they see the approaching dangers. And today, God still has eagles. We can, we can go back and re, we can reference, and we will, of course, the great prophet before us of Brother Branham for our age. And we will also uh, reference some great men like Isaiah or Jeremiah or the different ones, you know, because they, are, they were eagles and they had spiritual eyes and they prophesied of the day that we're living in. To kind of give us an idea of where we are in time. And today God still has eagles, messengers, men on the tower who climb up to the spirit that is far above where atomic bombs can go or scientific researches. A man that is specially designed for a purpose. Amen. Men of God, anointed men who can climb the ramparts of Calvary in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and stand back on the top of the cross and can send back a message. God has said this. This is his word. Here is his promise. Amen. That there is a rock that we can stand on when all the trouble is all around us. That we can have a consolation that he has not left us, but he is with us. For he said, I'll be with you, even in you, to the end of the world. I can hear Brother Branham say, oh, listen to thus saith the Lord. If you consider me to be his servant, it's just before the day of break, break of day. And that is why the horrible gloom is over the earth. It's just before the coming of the Lord Jesus. And there's no more hope left in nothing but his coming. Nations are against nations. They have fooled with God's laboratory still. They got power to break, blow one another into atomic ashes. And they're wicked. They're unreligious. They're unchristlike. And the only motive they have and the only objective is to destroy. And they're inspired by the destroying angel that was sent down from heaven to inspire these men. And let me say in the name of the Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit has sent as a watchman on the tower. And as the people cry, what of the night? Are you weary of this life? Are you weary of sin? Are you weary of funeral processions? And are you weary of sickness and ungodliness on every hand? Has the night been long and weary? What of the night? Watchman. And he says, the morning cometh. 
See the comfort? The night also. What is the night? Watchmen, what are the night? What's going to happen? Here it is. Total annihilation is coming to the whole world. But before that annihilation takes place, the church of Jesus Christ will go into rapture to meet her Lord. What a promise that is. What a consolation. I think I'm preaching to a people today that we are weary. We're weary of burying loved ones. We're weary of the toil. We're weary of the long night. We're weary of, of, of church ages and, and just, uh, you know, God sent a messenger and they fall away and go back and the cycle of revival and death, you know, continue on. We're weary of it all. We're tired of it. We're saying, God, where are we at this journey? How much further do we got to go? How much longer, Lord? I think it must be that way. I think there must be a people that are crying out in their hearts, even so come, Lord Jesus. Now, Daniel looked at his prophecy too, and as he pondered the present stage of his journey. If you'll turn with me to Daniel chapter 9 and verse 2, we'll use Daniel as a reference. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books. Now, I want you to notice he didn't get a love story magazine. I want you to notice it's not a fiction story. He wasn't, he wasn't into Zane Grant or whoever. I don't know who, what their names are. But anyway, he wasn't into none of them. He says, you know, I, Daniel, understood by books. What was he looking at? He was looking at the word of the prophet. Look, where unto the word the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek my prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Now Daniel was among the Hebrews that were taken down to Babylon. You know, Daniel had not done evil. You can see from his life, he was a sincere believer in Jehovah. Early on, he would refuse to eat the king's meat to pollute himself with the the pork and the uncleanliness of the meats that they were forbidden to and meat that was not not kosher. And and so, you you know, from early on, you can see his life and his testimony. He had been a believer all that time, but he too was taken captive. He too, his hands were tied behind his back and stripped and taken down to Babylon. He too would see the atrocities of relatives and friends and loved ones slaughtered and killed. And, 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 and friends, brothers, sisters taken prisoner and taken down to Babylon. Now Babylon had a, a way of doing things. They, they, the way that they would control a region is they would upright the population and would move them here and move them there and whatever so that they would not be in their homeland. Because in their homeland they would have strength. They would have courage and they would fight for their homeland. But if you take them out, then they're part of Babylon. And it's here down in Babylon that they would actually, wouldn't have a temple and they would start their synagogues and their Pharisaic worship and all the other things that would come as they would adapt to Babylonian culture. 
And it would be that many of them would go down into Chaldea, into Babylon, and would never return. They would always live down there. And they, they would say, I can serve Jehovah there. I don't have to go back to the homeland. And that becomes the attitude of a lot of people today. We can serve the Lord where we are. We don't have to go back to the homeland of the Bible. We don't have to return to the book of Acts. We, we don't have to go back to, to the worship, uh, you know, where God chose to put his name. We can worship anywhere. We can do our own thing. But when I think about Daniel, a man who had not sinned, a man who had not done evil, a man who was righteous, but he had to suffer with the wicked. Sometimes things seem unfair. Why is it, Lord, I've tried so hard. I've done everything I can. You know I served you. Here I am a prisoner down in Babylon. Here I am taken from my home. Here I am. And he determines in his heart, I'm going to serve God no matter where I'm at. This nation, we will suffer in this nation. Christians will suffer because of the unrighteousness in politics. And it will make the whole nation suffer. And this was from nothing he did, but rather judgment was upon the nation of Israel. And because of their sins, righteous men like Daniel, Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was bound, taken down into Babylon. Here he was separated from his people, separated from his church. Think about that. Not one church service to go to. Maybe like some of you sitting there in your home today and there's no place to go. No hymns to be sang. But what he's saying to himself, yet he still held on to what the prophet said. While others were worshiping foreign gods, you know, he held on and he said, I, I, I want to search the message. I want to go back and look and see what the prophet said. Let's see what Jeremiah said. You know, we're nearing the time. And I'll tell you, if there was ever a time that we ought to be into the word of God and seeking it out, it's right now in this hour. It's the hour of more consecration, of more dedication, because we know we're at a junction. Being taken away from his home now, nearly 70 years. Remember, 70 years was approaching. If he was, if he was 14 when he was taken away, he was now 84 years old or thereabout. You know, here, here he was and he goes and he looks heaven into the book. He wanted to see what is it? How many days will it be before all this is accomplished? And the same is true today. We are looking back. We're searching the books. I don't know. I don't know about you. But, you know, it's kind of like my kids, my children along the journey. Daddy, where are we? How much more time? How, how many more miles? Of course, we didn't have GPS, you know, with an ETA. So we look at the road map and say, well, it looks like. If, if I can read the figures right on this map, we got, we got another hour. 
And, you know, there could be delays and there could be situations rise. We don't know exactly what minute it'll be, but we're headed that way. Just just hold on, children. We're going to get there after a while. And so, you know, again, today we're, we're looking back. We're searching the books. We're reading the road map. We, and we see we are now approaching a great junction. Like I said, there's a lot of debts that has to be paid. Daniel made himself ready. He was starting a fast. He was sanctifying himself. And he sought the Lord knowing the fulfillment of the promise drew near. And he didn't want to miss it. He's saying, God, what must I do next? For we're now at the end time. And that's what I say today, God, where are we? Where, where do we go next? We're nearing the shore. The day that we're living in shows every sign is pointing to the coming of the Lord. Oh, I can go back and consult the books. Let's go and let's turn as it were, uh, turn in the book. And, and, and of course, this is not in the Bible. It's in the sermon, desperation. Oh, church. He screams out, rise and shake yourself and pinch your conscience. Wake yourself up in this hour. We must be desperate or perish. There is coming forth something from the Lord. And I know it is dust, said the Lord. There's coming forth something and we better get desperate. It's between life and death. It'll pass through us and we won't see it. It's very important. We note the signpost along the road. Some of the signposts that identifies where we're at is we see the cooling off among Christians. We see the church of the living God becoming indifferent, becoming infatuated with the world and losing its love for Christ. We, we see even among message believers becoming so denominational minded and drawing up its barriers uh, until, you know, it, it ought to be seen as milestones to let us know we're getting close to the end of the road. When we see even our message becoming more and more denominational eyes with with little Jerusalems here or there where you got to come because this is where that you must be to make the rapture in this certain church or this certain group of people. I, I want you to know, you know, I want you to know as we look into that for a moment, it's the milestones to tell you that, that even the movement that we have been in as what we call the message is a dying movement. Now, I know that'll make a lot of people angry, but it's a dying movement. The throes of death is upon it. And she moves more and more toward denominational mindedness. You know, the, and, and I want to I wanna deal with this for a moment because here we are. I want to just point out some of the signs as we pass by. See, this sign here says we are at this place. And so from here, you know, from here we got to go, go further from here. And, and, and we don't want to stop here. So, you know, if you look in Revelation chapter 3, 14, and, I, and, and read of the Laodicean age, and we're not going to actually read it, 
But I want you to remember this as we look at this milestone. This milestone says that the church would become lukewarm, that it would deal with with horrible situations thinking it's rich and increase with goods and have a need of nothing and yet would not know his spiritual poverty. It would get to the point that it would actually put Christ on the outside where he would actually be, be um, uh, standing on the outside of the church knocking trying to get in. You know, again, we, we look back and we can say yes, the Methodists did it. Yes, the Nazarenes did it. Yes, the Pilgrim Holiness did it. Yes, the Azusa Street Movement did it. But you realize the last rejection of Christ will be among those who claim this message. I want that to sink in. The Bible declares that before his coming, there will be a great falling away. Well, yeah, there's certainly been a great fall. The virgin that started out has defiled herself with other lovers, and she is called in the Bible the great whore. And if that's not bad enough, she's influenced her daughters, and her daughters are, who came out of Catholicism are called harlots. And yeah, that's a terrible fall. But yet, I want to say you can still, even though that is true, you can still expect to fall in a way, not just to fall of those who have now denounced the message and have went out into the world or joined themselves with the harlot system or maybe got rebaptized into titles to their shame. Amen. But, 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 those, but those who still cling to the prophet of Malachi 4 will actually reject Christ. They will be ashamed of the Holy Ghost. They will become ashamed and embarrassed of Holy Ghost meetings. They will be embarrassed to see the word bring forth Acts 2.38 tongue speaking youngins. Of course, the bride won't fall away, but the mixed multitude among her will. They will make captains to go back to Egypt. I, you know, I've read, I've read in the books. And I'm telling you from what I've read in the books, as Daniel read of Jeremiah, I read of the prophet of the last day. And one of the last sermons that he preaches to us is ashamed of him. And I read in the books that many will become ashamed of him. That many will scorn a church filled with the Spirit. They will reject the gifts of God, even to the point of not just the nine spiritual gifts, but even reject the ministerial gifts of Ephesians 4. They will not want the moving of the Spirit. They will preach against it and will crucify Christ from their pulpits. They will call the revival, he sends a false revival. They will mock with scorn those who receive the word with joy as David did in his day. And then they will be like the daughter of Saul, Michal, as she, as she, she looked upon David as he danced before the Lord. And he was dancing 
Not just out of an emotion or just some little joy or just because he was happy that day, but because the word was returning. Amen. And it was not because of his dancing and shouting that Uzzah died. The reason Uzzah died was because, because David had brought it on the ox cart like the Philistines had done, not in God's provided way on the Levites, the shoulders of the Levites. And because it was not brought by God's ordained way because he failed to consult the word before trying to bring the word back, the ark back, and the death struck, and it always will. The word has to be carried on the shoulders of the Levites. And as David danced before the Lord, because the word was now returning, because there was a restoration taking place, then his, the daughter of Saul looked upon her, upon him saying, David, you're too childish. You're too immature. You're too Pentecostal. It's only babies that wants the gifts of the Spirit. You know, you're not dignified enough to be king. But David was not walking that day with a dignified robe and the air of a king, you know, all proud and exalted. He realized that the Ark of the Covenant symbolizing the true and great king was now being put back into its proper place. And when he did, he forgot all about his dignity. Amen. And he made great the name of the Lord while he based himself. Amen. Humbled himself. Are you with me? And because of that, Michal was struck with the curse of barrenness. She would not bring forth children of the king. David David was able to put aside who he was to make great the king of kings. I hope where we are in this journey, I hope if we've learned anything, that we have learned, you know, to put away our pride. Oh, that we, we're the great people and we're the great ones and that we welcome and make great the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we exalt his word over our opinion, over what we think. There's so many will look even at what the prophet of God say and shrug, you know, and say, well, that's just his opinion. Well, I tell you, his opinion is a lot better than yours. Amen. He met an angel. He was in the presence of God. He was vindicated. I'll take his opinion any day over yours or over mine. Amen. You see, but again, David was able to put aside who he was to make great the king of kings and lord of lords. That's what real men do. They will welcome and receive the word and when doing so, they'll throw out their garments of pride, throw out their dignity, and they'll humble themselves and rejoice, lifting up the name of Jesus. Oh yes, they will read their quotes that fit their narrative, leaving out what they don't want and it'll be a word without power, mechanics without dynamics, religion without emotion that is dead, lectures without anointing, dead sermons that kill, and that can only bring forth stillborn children without emotion or life. 
I'm not speaking these things today as a novice. I'm not speaking this as a young preacher or a young convert. I'm speaking to this as a man of experience. As I've stood preaching to this congregation, as it started out in little home meetings, and would start out with, with a little small handful of people and build up and up to now, to now 54 years of ministry on February the 1st. I don't say this. I don't say this, you know, as a novice. I say this as one who's been there, who's come through it, who's dealt with situations, who's traveled the world, who's put my thumb upon the pulse of the people, upon churches, and see the problems that are there. And I just want to say, dead sermons kill. And lectures without anointing are of no value. I don't care how many quotes that you use. The devil uses quotes. Satan would use quotes to try to defeat Jesus. Amen. But he didn't know how to place them in right order. He did not have the, the ability to use it in the correct way. And it was not anointed. And it didn't bring life. And to obey it was to bring death. The message movement is going through the same cycle of revival and death that every movement before them did. And I'm going to say thus. This church will either have a revival or a funeral. Selah. Pause and think on this. We'll either have a revival or a funeral. And we get to decide which one. Did you hear me? We get to decide which one. We can decide whether to have a revival within our being, where the Spirit of God saturates your soul, or we can have a funeral and bury your old, dead, emotionless religion. Bury you with it. But I just want to say, not all will go down into death. Let me read again from the books. Not all will go down into, the, into death. Let me quote from, from even 1 Thessalonians 4. We which are alive and remain. There's somebody that's going to be remaining. There's somebody going to be still alive. I want to be among those that not just have got breath in my body, but I'm alive in my soul within me. There's life that is breathing out. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit life. So let me read from the books. I believe that the bride of Christ is called. I believe she's sealed in the kingdom of God. I believe the mechanics is there. Yeah. They're waiting for the dynamics to take her off the earth into glory in the rapture. I believe it with all my heart. Yes, sir, we don't know how he's going to do it, but he shall do it. He is a dynamics. We just become members of the machine of his body, forming ourselves into his image and see him uniting himself with us in his works, with his love gifts as he hands them to us just before the wedding supper. And we're waiting, watching for that. How many is looking for his love gifts? 
I am. Amen. I'm looking for his love gifts. Come on, church. Amen. It's not going to be, it's not going to be another sermon. It's not going to be another word. It's not going to be a new revelation. You know, but it's love gifts. Amen. Things that he's going to endow on his church that he is endowing, that he wants to do with every one of you this morning. Amen. I, you know, again, in the, in, as I read from the books, back in the message oneness, the church is now engaged like a man engaged to his wife. What does he do while they're engaged? He's just been doing all kinds of things, sending her presence, making her feel good. Well, that's what Christ is doing to his church. He's sending us gifts of his spirit. How can you be engaged then when you're denying these gifts exist? It's the very love tokens. It's God's token to the church. Jesus said so. These signs shall follow them that believe. You know anything about those signs? Amen. In my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with tongues. If they lay hands on the sick, they shall recover. And he says the church must believe every word, every promise, every iota, and claim it for themselves and exercise themselves in it. If I was engaged to a girl and I was a single man and I'd send her something, an engagement ring, and she wouldn't wear it, then that shows she doesn't believe me. She doesn't want to be my bride. Well, I'll tell you what. I've been there, done that. Back in 1975, I asked a sweetheart of mine, will you marry me? And she nodded her head, yes. Out of her head. She's really shy. I said, What? I didn't hear you. I said, I didn't hear you say anything. She nodded her head more vigorously. I said, A vow has to be spoken. And she said, Yes. We went down. I got the best ring I could. We were both poor. There'd be times I didn't even have a car to drive. I went and bought her a ring. We paid $98 for it. My father-in-law would say, where'd you get that from, a gum machine? But it was the best I had. She wore it with pride. She believed me. She believed in me. She wanted to be my bride. She took my ring. And there she wore it and showed it everywhere. Others say it's cheap. It's from a gun machine. Others would make maybe light of it or whatever. You know, how in the world is this guy ever going to mount to anything? She, she, she bet on the, the bobtailed nag and won. You see, there I've been there. I've done that. 
but what if she would say, oh, no. You know, it's kind of like Billy Graham one time was courting a girl. She's a beautiful girl, nice girl. And he asked her, would she, he marry her? And she said, no. No, I, I'm, I'm not going to marry a preacher like you. said, I, I want to marry somebody that will be famous. She didn't know what she was throwing away. She didn't know what she was thinking was cheap. That didn't look like would amount to anything. And Brother Branham said, if Christ sends his church the gifts that he promised and they refuse them and say they're not so, uh, that they don't want to be the bride of Christ, they are a spouse to some other lover and not to Christ the bridegroom. So the real church keeps the promise and keeps all and accepts the gifts that God sends them. Amen. Yes, Amen. Now, the last church age is Laodicea and he's shown on the outside of his church knocking to get back in. They have put him out. Again, thinking of this, Paul said, and I will quote from the book, this book. I will quote from this. Know this, in the last days, perilous times will come. Men will be heady and high-minded and lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God and truce breakers. False accusers and continent despisers of those that are good. And Brother Branham comments on that and said, call you a holy roller anything they can. Having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. He said, there you are, fundamental in doctrine. Now get this, church. Fundamental in doctrine, but powerless in power. They deny the existence of divine healing. They deny the power of the gift, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. That is the state that the message community has become. His word testifies in the last day there will come a fallen away and there will come up a cold, formal, powerless church age that we're living in, a church that has no power, having a, a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. He gave the sign that there would be times when men, a man would sit in the temple of God showing himself he is God and he would come ruling the nations, how perfectly all these things, how God's word has been perfect. And how close are we? How far are we? I, I will tell you this. We've run out of ages. I don't know if you have noticed or not, but we're, this is the last one. And it's been a long journey for the church since the day of Pentecost. And as we pass one of the last mile markers, I see a sign. Let me read it to you. Oh, no. I, I, don't, I don't know if you can take this or not. It says, Jesus has been put out of the message church. Are you sure? Did you read that right, Brother Tim? Well, let's see. I mean, look a little harder at the sign. Oh, wait a minute. I see him there, but outside with dirty feet. 
Some of you are wishing I'd have stayed home today. I could at least change the channel. But let me just tell you, every revival, and I'm quoting the books, every revival down through here, the churches, every revival has always been brought outside of organization. Any man that ever started a revival was outside the organization. And every time a revival started, they had signs and miracles and speaking in tongues and healings and so forth and taking place like that. And as soon as that founder died, then they organized it and made an organization out of it. And it went right dead and God never fooled with it no more. That's exactly right. And here he is at the last church age, standing outside the door. God Almighty, that breaks my heart. Standing outside of the door of his own church after being pushed out by worldliness and coldness and denomination and difference and standing outside the door, knocking, trying to get back in. And Brother Branham said, when I thought that a while ago, I just leaned over my table and started crying. Now, by the way, he's preaching to the Laodicean church age. Here the Elijah anointing is on him. And he is able to show us the journey where we've been. Lay out the road map and say, now we're in the seventh age. And here he he looks and he sees Jesus with dirty feet. And this is part of his sermon as, hey, listen, church. And turn it, give me, give me the scripture, Revelation 3.14. And I want you to, I want you to see this. Revelation 3.14. And unto the angel of the church of Laodicea write, these things saith the amen. This is the final say. Stop here a minute. Look here. To the angel of the church, to the messenger of the church of Laodicea. What church age are we in? So Christ, Jesus Christ, himself gave a message of what would be in this last age. What would be the the condition? What would be the situation? Where we would be? What would be happening in this last age? Now, so again, you see, here here again, I, I want you to see this. So as Brother Branham is preaching the message of the Laodicean age, He's not doing as John Wesley or Benjamin Franklin or some statesman. He's doing it as the seventh angel who has received the message from Christ himself. Amen. And he's the messenger. And he he stands there in his church and he says, it's Jesus outside with dirty feet. And he says, I often thought with Jesus standing in that Pharisee's house, nobody paid any attention to him when he had dirty feet. 
They didn't meet him at the door and wash his feet and anoint him, taking the manure and stuff where he had been walking his garment, sweeping around and brought, brought that old stink off the road where horses and things had traveled and got that stink on them. They'd always wash the feet. That was the custom. And a foot washed flunky stayed at the door. And when a man come, would wash his feet and raise up, get a little pair of sandals and put on, they anointed his head, made him feel good and the burn on his neck from the rays of the sun, comb back his hair and he will go in. And then this poor old harlot down the street who come up there. She only had a little bit of money in a sack. And she looked over and see Jesus staying, sitting there with dirty feet. Now, why is Brother Brandon preaching this? Because this would be what happened in this church age. Amen. That, that here he would see Christ, the, the woman, he forgave that other woman of her sins. You know, I, I know he's the man I've heard that done these things, you know, but, but look at him. Why, why isn't anybody inviting him in? How come nobody wants him? And he said, that's the way we do. We invite him to come to our meetings. But when he, when he comes, we're ashamed of him. Oh, I wouldn't stay. Now, listen, I'm, I'm quoting to you. Oh, I wouldn't stay up there and say, praise the Lord. Oh, no, there's Sister Joneses. They'd think I was a holy roller. You, you hypocrite. That's right. I'm afraid I'd speak in tongues. They'd call me a tongues man. You miserable wretch. Now, remember, this is going in. You're miserable, wretched, poor, naked, blind, and don't know about it. You know, and, and, and get to the point, we become so legalistic and so rigid in our Pharisaic order that somebody is so worried that somebody might get out of order. Well, they ought to get out of order long enough to get saved. Amen. Again, you know, hear this little woman elbowing away through the crowd. I, I tell you, I wish that's the way where every one of us would accept Jesus. Elbowing our way through the crowd, not worrying about what everybody else saw or thought about or how they saw I was or my past or the way I've been, but, but realize Jesus needs to be worshiped and he deserves our worship. Amen, and his feet must be washed and the stink of the world washed off of him. Come on, somebody. Amen, and make welcome the King of kings and the Lord of lords and anoint him. You can't anoint him with dead singing and dead preaching. You have to anoint him with life. Something that has a fragrance, something that has a a beauty about it. Brother Branham said, she got there regardless of how vile she was. He said, oh, I know it was out of order. Oh, sure, God help us to get out of order once in a while. The trouble of it is you got too much order. Get out of order. I hope the church gets out of order long enough to get saved. I remember when Jesus saved me. How many remembers when he saved you? He said, oh, I'll never forget it. This little old Kentucky heart of mine was jumping 90 miles an hour. I wept, I cried, I shouted. I didn't care who was standing around. I wasn't paying attention to order. I was in the presence of Jesus and I loved it. 
she wasn't so much noticing about how much order she was in or how much she was out. The main thing was to get to Jesus. Amen. That's the way I'm feeling. Amen. I don't care what people have to do. Come on, somebody. Amen. You, you, you realize we can get to the point we get so rigid in our ways. But, but I tell you, if you want to make it all legalistic, better have your church bell and yeah, all the other things that you're supposed to do too. Just don't have one. We're going to make it law, make it all law. Amen. Remember, those things were church orders was given to as a guideline. And sometimes you got to get out of the guideline. Amen. You got to get out of the guideline set there of the order in order for somebody to get saved, to break through to the Holy Spirit. Amen. Notice, she wasn't noticing about how much order she was in or how much she was out. The main thing was get to Jesus. That's the whole thing about our youth camp. I, I really don't care about what Pharisee is looking in and watching our services. Amen. It really don't matter what they think as long as young people are getting to Jesus. Hallelujah. I don't care if they have to get out of order. If they get out of order, whatever. It's always in order when a soul comes to Christ. That'll be the main goal of every church. Amen. Is to see our altars full of the people seeking God, having a greater experience with him. She didn't care about all of that. He said, he sat without being kissed. He wasn't welcome, and she wanted to be welcomed. She didn't care about their old pharisaical orders, about their old tradition. She was pressing her way through to get to Jesus. God help us to have a revival like that where men and women will elbow their way through the crowds and denominations and the bearers till they get in the presence of Jesus. Yeah, Jesus sitting there with unwashed feet. I don't want that happening in this church. Every time he comes, I want to make him welcome. Make him welcome with our tears, with our rejoicing, with our glories to God, with our shouts, with our receptiveness to the word of God. Jesus with dirty feet, Laodicean churches, and nobody paying any attention. And today, he packs a dirty name as Holy Roller. Of course, we've changed that and call it Pentecostal or something or another like that. And men ain't got the gall to stand up for him. Let me put up a slide. Today with Jesus standing outside the door of the Pentecostal organizations, Baptist organizations, Methodist organizations, trying to get back in with Pentecost again. And the people are passing him by. After your worldliness and things has pushed him out of the church, he's standing, trying, crying to get back in. Look what he said. He's trying. 
I, I'm not talking about a stem of Zeus or something. I'm talking about this age. Look, if you see the caption, the Laodicean church age, as Brother Brandon preached it, receiving the message from Jesus to you. And he's trying to get back in the church with Pentecost again. Not Azusa Street. The original outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And it's the most pathetic thing I've ever seen in my life. Had no need of him. Outside knocking, trying to get in. That's the same thing that he's trying to do today. He was outside. We'll take the next slide. They never throwed him out. They still sang of him. Notice this. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power. So I want you to get the picture. They didn't throw him out. No, they still sang about him. You see, but they still preached about him. But they, they had never missed him in their presence. They were going right on. They were nearsighted. They were looking at their big buildings. Look how God's blessed us. You know, we used to be in our, our little bitty shanty of a church or storefront. And here we are now and God's given us, look at his blessings. I, I thank God for this building. God gave us, God gave us this building. You look around this campus and everything has been paid for. We don't owe a dime on none of it. That's phenomenal. That was a miracle. That was a blessing from God. But I'd rather be back in the old church. I'm talking about the old, old church with broken window panes and with wood heaters there and a few people that love the Lord than to have a thousand people who didn't really come there with the same intent to make Jesus welcome. Amen. I say we can do it right here in this building. It ain't the building and it ain't the number. Amen, it's the hearts that surrender to God. But they didn't miss him. No, no, they didn't miss speaking in tongues. They didn't miss the great powerful messages of God who cuts down to the heart and circumcises the heart and tears off the things of the world and shucks you like a piece of corn. They was too worried about order. And they had the order, but not Jesus. Give me the next slide. If you preach like that in their church, they'd oust you out. And that's the way the Holy Ghost preached. You know, I hadn't been ousted out, but I've been preached out many times. Afterwards, the next four or five sermons, they ate me for lunch, breakfast and supper. But I preached it anyway. If you preach like that in their church, they'd oust you out. And that's the way the Holy Ghost preached. Jesus said, you generation of vipers, you snakes in the grass. And John did do great anointed men. I always tore the hide off of them. But they didn't miss him because they didn't have that. So they went. They had a little flowery something patting them on the back and said, just join, put your name here, and we'll take you in our membership, and you just go get your paper from a, a other church, and we'll receive you, and so forth. Now, your pledge will be how much each year? You see, that's it. Rich have need of nothing. But you have need of the greatest thing, and haven't got it. Again, 
this is to our church age, Jesus standing outside trying to get back in with Pentecost. What would you think? Next slide. What would you think would happen tonight in the Methodist church? I don't want to change the prophet, but I'm going to say, what would you think would happen in a message church? If the Holy Ghost fell upon the church and they began jumping, shouting, jumping, speaking in tongues and acting like a bunch of drunk people, why the conference would throw that message, Methodist church out of the conference. You know, that the same thing would happen. Baptist church, that happened. Same thing. Pentecostals, why? There's many of them. It happened the same thing. Sure. Yes, sir. They wouldn't put up without that nonsense. They'd say, well, it even spoiled our new carpets. Uh-huh. My, my. What a miserable bunch they are. You're, the messenger is describing the miserable condition that people will get to in this age. Now, so again, you see, you, again, you see, if he's outside of the Pentecostal church now, how are we going to get him back in? This is a question he was asking then, and he said, here it is. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and I will sup with him and he with me. Amen. He won't deal with them no more because they're dead and gone uh, and gone to begin with. He hates it. He's always hated. He's always hated that spirit of divisiveness and inclusiveness and, and, and pushing everybody else out. Amen. Listen, church, sometimes I might, I might scream out at some of these brothers. and It's not to condemn them, and this message isn't to condemn. It's to say, listen, there's a promise in the Word, and you can have it. It can be in your church. You say, well, Brother Jim, you all think the revival comes from evening like tabernacle. Listen, this bride's revival started because the book was open. Seven angels came and opened the book and revealed the mystery to a prophet of God. And because of that, it has started a bride's revival and I just happen to be a part of it and I want everybody around the world who's a bride to be a recipient of that revival. I didn't start it and you can't stop it. Hallelujah. But here it is. If any man, next slide. If any man, any Methodist man, any Baptist, any Presbyterian, any Catholic man, any Church of God man, any Nazarene man, any, any Pentecostal man, or let me just say, any message man, any man that'll hear my voice and will open the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. And that's the message to the Pentecostal church. Not to try to revive the Pentecostal organization, but revive the Pentecostal blessing in the individual's heart. Hmm. But we don't want this Pentecostal blessing. No, 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 We, we got another lover. We don't want that in our church. No, sir, we, we have our forms and our ways and we do this and that. We have our orders. Get out of order long enough to get saved. That's what needs to happen. In the Easter seal, 
Brother Branham said, oh, they say you can't have these old-fashioned Pentecostal revivals. He said, yes, we can. You can have it in yourself. Do you know what that means? If your church don't have it, you can have it. You get to choose. You get to choose revival or funeral. Come on, revival and death is going on and you get to choose. And so you, they say you can't have it, but yes, you can, the prophet said. You can have it in yourself. Hallelujah. If all of even the light tabernacle goes dead in 2024, I don't have to go dead. I can have a revival on the inside of myself. Hallelujah. I am the revival. You can't separate me from this revival. I am this revival. Well, we don't need or want the Pentecostal blessing. Well, let me read from the books. Because the Bible said they would get that way. That would be their sign of protest that they would wave. Come on. Not anti-Semiticism, but anti-word. Anti-moving of the spirit. And they'll wave that around. And he says this, Brother Branham had to deal with in his age. He said, Paul is ordaining these gifts in the church. This is 1965 in the Easter seal. He's ordaining these gifts into the church 30 years later. And then Galatians 1.8, if an angel from heaven preaches you any other gospel than this, that has already received, see, already been preached, let him be a curse. I believe that Pentecost began without ending. Sounds like to me then, we ought to still be in Pentecost until the day we leave. After all, it's the Jubilee and the rapture is the Jubilee. It's the final setting free from the old flesh. Hallelujah. Amen. Oh, he said, I believe it's every creature, all times, all places, Pentecost should always remain. The Pentecostal blessing should always be upon the people. I just say, God, give me the Pentecostal blessings. I'm not going to deny any of your gifts. I hear Brother Branham crying out, and this should be your cry in this year coming. God created me a revival. Let me be the revival. Let each of us be the revival, the revival of me. Make me the hunger, Lord. Make me the thirst. From this hour on, be thine, more consecrated servant, a better servant, more blessed, more of you, more able, more humbler, more kinder, more willing to work, more looking to the things that are positive, forgetting the things that are in the past and the negative, and let me press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling. So now, I don't want to throw you for a loop here, but with him rejection, with him rejected, then watch the crucifixion. Brother Tim, we passed that on this journey 2,000 years ago, didn't we? I mean, crucifixion was way back there. Aren't we near the resurrection? What are you talking about a crucifixion for? Because before there can be a resurrection, there has to be a crucifixion first. 
So if you're looking for a resurrection before the resurrection comes, there's a crucifixion first. So he's been crucified and he's been put out of the denominational system. But the last place that he will be pushed out is in the message community. His power will be killed. His miracles will be scorned and spit upon. Oh, oh no, oh, no, Brother Tim, that's only the denominational known. Many, let me tell you, let me just get this clear. Many around the message is under an indictment for crucifying Christ afresh. Just be sure you're not one of them. In the, in the indictment message, Brother Branham preached it. He said to base this indictment, he, he said he used that four, four um, letters from the scripture. He looked into the book and the book said there they crucified him. And he used that to base his indictment against this generation. And I want you to hear what he said in the opening of it, he said, I'm bringing an indictment to the denominational churches. That exempts us. Praise God. Hallelujah. We're not no denomination. No, we left that long time ago. Praise God. We're not one of them. Mm-mm. We, 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 and also many of the independents for crucifying Christ afresh. So you don't even have to belong to denomination. You can be independent from them and still crucify him afresh. In the token message, there is some of the independents just as bad as the denominationals, sometimes worse. I'm looking at people here today that have sat in cults. That was worse, more denominated, more tighter, more tighter than any denomination. You've got to be freer being a Baptist. There's cults. This message, those around, the fanaticism around this message has produced cults. Men who rise up and say, you can only be, make it in the rapture by listening to me. If you don't go to my church, you're not going in the rapture. All kinds of things. It is horrific. And the tragedies along the road. I, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a world traveler and I, I hear from people around the world. I deal with people who, who are struggling in situations like that. Who, who, who come to me with questions and, and said, Brother Tim, you know, all, all of these things are happening in our church. You know, our, our pastor has left his wife and he went and got him another one. And now, you know, she wasn't a virgin according to what the prophet taught. And, and he, he makes up these rules and, and these others. And we got all kinds of sin and things that are happening in our churches. I don't know what to do. And I want to go to church. I want to obey the word, but I can't go. What do I do? 
Some of the worst cults there are call themselves message. And like so many others have made themselves a Jerusalem, the place you must come to worship. They don't know that our Jerusalem is from above and it's the true place of worship. The true place is in Christ. They don't know that. They think it's in a certain place, a certain headquarters. But in their Jerusalem, now, if you'd study the indictment message, you brother, brother Branham said each one of them have made their little movement a Jerusalem, the place where you must come to worship. And he said, but, but he went on and preached. He said, but in their Jerusalem, the word is crucified. The life is taken out of it. And all is left is a dead creed. And he said, the new Calvary is the church, so-called many holy places, most holy places, great pulpit. There he receives his heart as pierces, a new Calvary. Where is it found at? In the most holy place. There in the most holy place. They, the Jews, the most holy people, crucified most shameful death. Him, the most wonderful person of life. Where did he get his spears at? In his side. Where did he get his pierces? On Calvary. Where does he get it today? In the pulpit. Where do they come from? Jerusalem. Where do they come from? The denomination. And I'll just say, just because you don't have papers for one, some of the churches are so tightened up until God couldn't move. In many message churches, Acts 2 would not be welcome, but would be rejected. They won't welcome the Holy Ghost, and especially not if he came speaking his language. They don't want that language from heaven. The ones who claim to love him, that's who crucified him today. His second Calvary, where he receives his pierces against the word. Who is he? He is the word. Where is he pierced the hardest from? The pulpits in the holy places just like it was then. So this is what happens in the journey. Christ will be crucified from message pulpits. Oh, well, now, Brother Tim, but we welcome and receive the word. It's true. You welcome. And you welcome and receive the knowledge of the word. But if it's true that you welcome his word, then you welcome his spirit because his spirit is word in life. Amen. His word is spirit in life. Amen. So, so look, children, as we're driving along, I, I just want to say we're passing another signpost. Well, Brother Tim, I hope this ain't as bad as that last one. Well, let's just look at it. Romans eleven twenty-five. We're going to read from the books. Romans eleven twenty-five. For I would not, brethren, that you be ignorant of this mystery. Lest you should be wise in your own conceits. That blindness has happened in part to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. So now, stop. Laodicea is prophesied to be what? Blind. Okay, so that means we now are reaching our fullness. Remember here 
it says, and all Israel shall be saved as written, they that come out of Zion, they shall come out of Zion, the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. So this is promise. So we know that laying right ahead of us, all Israel, we're talking about the elect, shall be saved. But in the meantime, the Gentiles, their age is coming to the fullness. Now, the Gentile dispensation is represented by seven church ages. So the, the, the seven church ages is the fullness of the Gentiles. If we're still in, in the Gentile dispensation, we are still in the Laodicean age, and which is the seventh age under the seventh age messenger. Now, this sign, of course, means that our road will end at the rapture. So it's telling us there is an end of the road right ahead. And that's as far as Gentiles can go. Because the rest of them have to go in a rapture because they're coming to the fullness of the Gentiles. But in doing so, now Israel is still spiritually blind, and, but their eyes are about to be open. However, Gentiles see but very little and their eyes are becoming dimmer and dimmer by the minute as their light goes out. Now, in the blinding of the Gentiles, of the Jews, when they were blinded in that darkness, under cover, you know, it takes light for your eyes to see. And under the darkness, it came and enveloped them a spiritual darkness on the Jews. They killed their Messiah in that darkness. Amen. And in the blinding of the Gentiles, they will crucify the word, taking the life, the anointing, and the power out of it. Now, after World War II, we know that the United States had a national revival with both Billy Graham and Brother Branham and the Divine Healing Movement. And, of course, there was also Oral Roberts and the Charismatic Pentecostal Movement. It all sprung up right at the same time. Do you know why? Because as we look at the sign, going along the journey, I want you to notice trees have put forth their buds. You know, here Israel now, the Bible says of her... Uh, and as it prophesies, when you see the victory, but if you'll notice, it also says, and all the other trees. So it's not just Israel putting forth their buds, but all the other trees. So just as, just as the angel of God is coming to a prophet for restoration of the bride tree, so Israel, the fig tree, begins to put forth its buds. But that wasn't all. The charismatic, the Pentecostal would put forth their buds. The Baptists with a million more and 44 would put forth their buds. And all of them would begin to leave out. Now every one of them is coming to fruit. Every one of them, their debt has to be paid. Comes a harvest time. Now, so there was in that cycle, in that sign, there was a formation of the nation of Israel. The revival of a nation that placed her back in her homeland. And that nation has now been built and it's a modern 
Yet it's a sinful place. Has a powerful army, nuclear weapons. You know, I, I, I read there many of the accounts of the, the survivors of that Holocaust and seen pictures of them and whatever. You know, uh, ungodly people, shall I say it. You know, uh, my, uh, you know, my girlfriend and I were living together and our child, you know, open fornication, all kinds of things. And, and there they are, their eyes are blinded. The light has not dawned on them. Are you with me? Amen. So she is a great nation, but she's also a sinful nation. Amen. And the nation has, has got now a powerful army and nuclear weapons. And she's leading the world in science in many fields. And she's built an agricultural infrastructure in modern city. She's the envy of the world as a democracy. And she's largely, though secular, and almost godless. And she also is a democracy rife with crooked politicians. However, they had a jolt just happen. And it's part of our journey. On October the 7th, things change forever. And they'll never be the same again. And, and, and I'm just going to make a prediction. What I predict to see from this, coming out of this rubble and out of this ashes, and these horrible things that has happened to them as a nation, that there will be a national revival within Israel, which then they will fulfill their destiny. I won't say all will have revival. And you say, well, why do you believe this? Because with a religious fervor, the temple will be rebuilt. With religious fervor, two prophets will raise up and 144,000 will be called out. If you would live this way, if you would stay here and don't go into rapture, this will happen. You will see it. God help you that you don't see it. The question is, though, this is the question. What about her counterpart? What about the bride of Christ? Will we, the Gentile bride, remain the same status quo? Or will we, too, seek the Lord and turn to him? Since the World War II, Israel's, uh, Israel's spiritual counterpart, I'm talking about us, the Gentile bride, has received a message. Now listen to me carefully. We received a message. We have built moves. We have made kingdoms. We have made fine churches. We have great political systems. And as the world falls apart around us, where we seek God with all our heart, and consummate the resurrection and the rapture and fulfill our destiny. Something must happen. A revival of some sort must happen to Israel in order to build a new temple. I don't know that the secular Jew will repent, nor that there would be a national revival there in Israel. Who knows the outcome of that? Spiritually, she's called Sodom and Gomorrah. They will so vehemently reject the two prophets and kill them. 
and parade their bodies like a bunch of heathens up and down the city for, for three or four days, the Bible says, in the book of Revelation. Are you with me? So maybe they won't all turn to God, but there's going to be a remnant. There's going to be a group of them that will have a hunger in their heart. We must find God. And I'm saying if this is happening in Israel in the natural counterpart, what about the spiritual counterpart? I don't say they will all repent. I don't say they'll all come back. But I say, oh God, let those of us whose hearts can be turned, let me, oh God, be stirred in this hour to realize there must be an awakening, a realization of the fulfillment of the promises. But the Gentiles have rejected their revival and even many in the message community will do the same. They will think the bride's revival is only mechanics, just word. We got it. It's the word. And in doing so, they'll condemn prayer lines. Oh, of course, unless they're having one. If it's them and they sanction it, well, it's okay. Listen, you don't know. I have been to churches, priests in their pulpits, where the altar was moved to the basement. They wasn't going to have nobody snotting around their altar. Others condemn any sensation or emotion upon receiving the Holy Ghost. I'm talking about the status. It's hard to believe, I know. I know some of you think I'm making this up, but I'm not. Listen, I'm going to be very vague about this because I don't want to hurt anybody. But I was in a message church just some years back, walking down the hallway with one of the pastors. And there was a signboard they used for witnessing, and it lists the mysteries that have been restored. And one of them was listed was the mystery of the baptism of the Holy Ghost without sensations. And I stopped the pastor in the hallway because it was incredulous. I said, you, you do know that isn't right, don't you? That's a misuse of a quote. And, and by only taking part of it, and it's wrong. What you're teaching there is wrong. And why do you insist on keeping that? And of course, he knew how, how, how I believed, and he just patted me on the shoulder. I know, I know, I know. And on down to the minister's office, I went with him. I just want to show you. Listen, I've been through the message. They have their one quote. I have over a hundred And I picked out a few choice ones to show you because I want you to fully understand what comes with the Holy Ghost. We're going to go to God hiding himself in simplicity, this slide. And this is as the seals were being opened. The Methodists said when we shouted, we had it, but they didn't. The Nazarene said, when they lived holy, they had it, but they didn't. The Pentecostals said, we speak in tongues. We got it, but they didn't. See, 
God unfolded himself, not in sensations. No, that's sensations yet with it. See, he's not unfolding a sensation. He's given you the person of Christ. But there's a sensation that comes with it. Sensation is a feeling. It's an awareness. That's what it is. If I feel a sensation, I'm aware something is touching my hand. I'm aware something is crawling on my face. It's a sensation. Right? And when Christ comes in your life, you are aware. He's entered. Let's go to the sixth seal to see if, I, if I'm right. As he says in the sixth seal, here it all is. It is an emotion. Let me tell you, let's make sure we understand. The Holy Ghost is not a jump. It's not a shout. It's not a feeling. It's not chills going down your back. It's not speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues is a gift of the Spirit. It's not the Spirit. Amen. It is an emotion. Though emotion accompanies it. Well, let's go further into 63. Now, I could have went prior 63 and got a bunch more. And I could actually bring out more from here. But I'm just bringing you a few. Because, because I hear people say, Brother Tim, you're only preaching your narrative. This is my story. It is the whole message. So watch this. There is a, only, there's only one way provided by God. Notice Ju- July of 63. If the Holy Ghost is on you, this word is vindicated to you because Jesus said, these signs shall follow them that believe to all the world, to every creature. Amen. God's provided way. What are those signs? In my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. We could go on quoting, but you get it. Let's go to the next one. And this is paradox. And he preaches a paradox, which means a miracle. So he could easily title this a miracle. So he said, for me to live is Christ. Hallelujah. I believe that the same God that fell on the day of Pentecost upon his church as a pillar of fire and divided himself with cloven tongues among his people is here tonight. It is the same God he was then. He is today with the same Holy Ghost. I know it's a miracle, a paradox. It cannot be explained. Emotions, screaming, crying, and so forth cannot be explained. But it's a miracle, a paradox, how God does it. It's the, what is all of this? It's the unseen God dwelling in the human heart, making himself visible by vindicating his word that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Well, if that isn't enough, let's journey over to Shreveport and let's see this one. You people standing here, now look, don't you rely upon some emotion. Although... It has emotion in it. I thought it was without feeling. Your prophet didn't teach that. That is not a restored mystery. That's a lie from Satan by the misuse of the word of God. He did it to Jesus. 
he used the word to try to get him to fall. I'm not falling for it. Let's go a little further. 64. Let's travel to 64 here. Any birth is a mess. I don't care where it's at. If it's in a pig pen or a hospital, a birth is a mess. So is the new birth. It'll make you do things you didn't think you would. It'll make you get down at the altar and cry and scream. Wash the paint off your face. Yeah, that's needed in message churches too. Raise your hands. Praise God. Speak in tongues and all kinds of things. The new birth will do that. Because it's Azusa Street's way of doing it. I, I didn't read that. I miss, I, that's where you've been reading it. I'm, I'm not pointing at you. I'm pointing at you. The new birth will do that because it's God's provided way to be born again. Is that not enough? What about the seed coming to maturity? Brother Branham starts and he said, you know, like the seed that is planted must come back to the grain again. So in mighty God unveiled, he said, and now it's ripe. Here we are in that time of ripeness to bring him back exactly like he was at the beginning. This is what to expect at this journey. His same ministry, the same Jesus, the same power, the same Holy Ghost, the same one that came down on the day of Pentecost is the same Holy Ghost that's manifested today from glory to glory to glory and is back to its original seed with the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the same signs, same wonders, same baptism, same kind of people, acting the same way with the same power, the same sensation. It's from glory unto glory and the next will be changed from this glory into a body like his own glorious body where we shall see him. So Brother Branham tells us here, it'll have the same sensation. Well, Brother Tim, we need deep teaching. Got to have it from the depths. Well, you can't get more deeper of a sermon than future home. You know, when a man receives a baptism of fire, there's a lot of noise around here. They think that's a shame to hear people scream and shout like that. That's too deep for too many. Go ahead, let's go to why it had to be shepherds. I'm consulting the books. I've seen jumping spells and joy spells, but there was nobody hurt. The mountains rung out, and the sun went down, and everything took place, but there was nobody hurt. I've seen meetings where the power of God was revealed to the people, and they were free from the world, and the things of the world, and the joy of the Lord filled the congregation, and they stood and screamed and cried and shouted to the top of their voice for the glory of God. I never did see anything disorderly. They was always right in order because they had recognized that their name had been written in the Lamb's book of life from before the foundation of the world. Hallelujah. Amen. When you see your name in the book, when you see you're part of the promise. But Brother Tim, you missed it. I mean, you're way off on the deep end. It, this is a word revival. It's just word, word. It's just word only, man. Well, okay, let's just see what the word does. Let's go to Broken Cisterns 65. We're coming close 
to the end of the prophet's warnings. Education can never bring life, so you can't educate them into this message. It takes the Spirit of God to bring life, and the life must not come out of an intellectual revival, but it's got to come out of the Bible. Word revival. Is everybody on page? All right, word revival. And that word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when it falls today and quickens, you get the same results he did in Acts 2. Exactly, it always has, it always will be because the Spirit of God conditions the atmosphere. Well, Brother Jim, the atmosphere just ain't right in my church for there to be revival in it. Well, I tell you, you got a job. You got a job to do, change the atmosphere until the Holy Spirit is welcome again. And I didn't even bring for you the one from Invisible Union, which the only kind the word can bring forth is those Acts 2.38 screaming, yelling youngins, miserable creatures that they think they are. But our prophet called you miserable for refusing to wash Jesus' feet. So what will cause the Gentiles to be cut off? I want you to see this. This was taught in the Laodicean age by the Laodicean messenger. Your message. Let's turn to Romans eleven nineteen. You'll go listen to this. You'll hear what Brother Branham says. And he says, Thou will say then the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Now, what he types, Paul is using, and he's talking about Israel has not received the gospel and has turned to the Gentiles. And he said, what has happened is that there has been the olive tree that the branches were cut off, that a wild branch, a wild olive branch would be, would be um, grafted in. All right? And he said, you Gentiles are the wild olive branch that has been grafted onto the tree. And he said, so you will say the branches are broken off that I might be grafted in. Well, he said, it's because of unbelief they were broken off. This is why they were broken off. They were broken off because of unbelief. And thou standest by faith, but be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed that he spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fell severity, but toward thee goodness, if thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou shalt be cut off. So if the Gentiles are coming to their fullness, to their end, what's going to happen to them? They are going to reject Christ just like Israel did 2,000 years ago and will be cut off. And the original olive branch will be put back in and the finishing up will be the gospel turned into the Jews. So, here we are. I'm reading you the road sign. There's a saw out, a pruning shear, and God is about to cut off the Gentiles. Now, let me take you to the Laodicean age. Brother Bradham says in there, he said, 
We're closing the church ages. Paul said, if God spared not the olive, original olive branch, but cut it off because of unbelief. Is that right? What caused him to be cut off? Because they rejected Pentecost. Is that right? On the day of Pentecost, they made fun and blasphemed the Holy Ghost. When Jesus was here, they called him Beelzebub. He was a devil. He was a fortune teller. He said, I forgive you for that. But when the Holy Ghost has come, don't you speak against it. Because if you speak against it, it'll never be forgiven you. Watch out. Amen. Remember, this comes right back to the cycle, right to the Gentiles. And remember, when Jesus commissioned his disciples not to go to the Gentiles, is that right? But go to the lost sheep of Israel. How did they condemn themselves? By blaspheming the Holy Ghost, calling the Spirit of God an unclean thing, making fun of him when they were dancing in the Spirit and so forth on the day of Pentecost. The same city, they made fun of it. Titus killed them in there and their blood run out of the gate's way and they eat their own children and everything in that same century. That's right. And one of the greatest nations in the world became the lowest and scattered to the four winds of the earth because why? Unbelief. And that was the original stump, the original tree. And he said, now that the first tree was holy, its branch was holy, the original tree. And because they disbelieved the Pentecostal message that Paul was preaching, God cut them off. And took a wild olive tree, which is the Gentiles, us, and grafted us in that we might live off the substance of that tree. Now, how much more in this day when we're rejecting the Pentecostal message that come down to the church ages, how much more is God going to be able to take off that old wild tree off of it anyhow and let some other come in because he will reject it because of their unbelief. So a sign that we are close to the end of the Gentile ages and the rapture will be a rejection of Christ, which is the rejection of Pentecost. Because that's where what is Pentecost is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ poured out. But I got some good news. I have some good news. It ain't all bad news. Yeah, been a rough journey. Come through some bad neighborhoods. Been a lot of warning signs. But let me tell you something. When you see these things come to pass, what were you instructed to do by the book? Look up. The road ends here. Hallelujah. But it goes up there. Look up for your redemption drawing nigh. Because guess what? After the crucifixion, after the crucifixion, after he's totally crucified and dead, comes the resurrection. And I already see men and women and boys and girls coming out of the tomb of formalism. A resurrection out of dark denominationalism, out of creeds of men. I see a men and women rising up. Amen, skin coming on the body. Amen, what is it? A bunch of bones that have been laying there barren for many, many years and life is coming to the body, which is a vindication the rapture is at hand. God putting skin on a people that'll bring the gospel to the last days with the signs and wonders of it to the world. Watchman, what of the night? I've told you about the night. Been some morbid, horrible scenes. 
Ain't nothing like what's fixing to come. The spirit, the spirit that attacked the Jews the other day can only attack us in the ecclesiastical manner. I'm talking about wholesale. There'll be persecution here, there, others. But when the bride leaves from here, you think they are just after the Jews and want to exterminate them? They want to destroy all Christianity. And guess what? The spirit within this nation will join with them. Already you see laws changing. Already you see things happening in our universities taken over by absolutely crazies, leftists, pumping into the youth until they don't know right from wrong. They're like a Muslim child in Gaza who's taught from the day he's born to hate a Jew and they're nothing but dogs and should be exterminated and destroy everyone you can and, and got their little coloring books and everything else, you know, and, and they, they do practice runs and everything else, killing the Jews, destroying them. But listen, they're not just after the Jews. They want this, all this, the true seed of Abraham. They're going to be after the church when the bride leaves and they would get you. But the Bible said you should pray always to escape the things that are coming on the earth and be counted worthy to stand before the Son of Man. But let me tell you, friends, you see, that they may hang him on a Roman tree. They may come in every kind of way and crucify him. And they're big denominational stones to try to keep Christ in the tomb. But there will be an Easter. For he said, I'll bring back a church in the same power. I'll bring back that bride like she was there in the beginning with the same signs, the same fruit, the same things that he did. I'll bring her back. I will restore, saith the Lord. I'll tell you what, church, look from this time on not to go down, but to go up. Hallelujah. Look from this moment on to go forward, not backwards. Look for this moment, hallelujah, not to, de- not to go down into death like every other revival has done, but be among those alive and remain at the coming of the Lord. The world groans for manifested sons. But if there was ever time to shine, it's like the morning star. The morning cometh. Why? Because the morning star is shining. Look at it. Every other ones have been dimmed out. And the only one still reflecting the light is the morning stars. And who is the morning stars? They're sons of the morning. They're brothers of the Messiah. That's what morning stars said when he, when he said the morning stars shouted for joy. It literally means the brothers of the Messiah shouted for joy. Oh, brother and sister, this morning it's time, if ever, to let the sun of the light of God shine on you and you reflect the glory of God. And morning stars shine and shout out. It may be dark. It may be evil. It may be a horrible day, but morning's coming. Amen.
see the rising of the sun. Peace, shalom. It's breaking over the earth. This is the stage of the journey. It's time to go home. Stand together with me. God bless you. God bless you. I pushed two hours today. Brother Peter Gailey, God bless him. He's there at home, sick with COVID, been very ill. Pray for him, the many others. And he said to me this morning, Brother Tim, we're going to have to make up for this, have two services in one. I said, we do it every Sunday. We don't come back for Sunday night. We put it right in the morning service. We're here. But I want you to make Jesus welcome. If there's any place that will wash his feet. If there's any place that will love him. When they talked to him, and said, give us a law. What we want to know is just tell us what to do. Just tell us. And he said, thou shalt, thou shalt not, thou shalt, thou shalt not. And then when it was all over, he said, oh, if somebody would just love me with all their heart and with all their soul and with all this in me. That's what he wants today. He doesn't want your rules and regulations. He don't want the message to be worn like a yoke around your neck. And you're miserable. He just wants you to love him. With all your heart. With all your soul. Let's sing it. I love him. Because he first loved me. I love him. I love him. Why? Because he first loved me, I never just my salvation. Would you like to love him with a new fervency? You start out this new year fervent for the Lord. Just like a new convert. Remember the feeling to get that back in again. So the sweetness of the Holy Spirit just bathes down. Smooths in him. Love him because he first loved me. time to you. Just mean it from your heart. This is what I'm going to do in the new year to come. I'm just going to love Jesus more. 
I'm just going to walk with you. Because he first loved me, Lord, undertake me and keep on Bring healing to your children. Those cancers, our brother Ron, sister Jeannie, sister Carol, so many others, brother Joel say, that we hear about, bring healing. Lord, bring healing to those fighting COVID, flu, RSV, all stomach virus, things that have thinned our numbers today. Lord, I'm so glad it's physical sickness, not spiritual sickness, that's kept them from assembling. I'm so thankful to be among a people that love the Lord Jesus that want him with all our hearts Lord let us remember what you did for us let us remember what you did for you paid it all on Calvary's tree thank you Father Jesus is the sweetest name I know. What a lovely name. His name is greater than cancer. It's greater than RSV or COVID or flu. Everyone I'm asked to bow to the name of Jesus. No matter what your affliction is, spirits of anxiety, Jesus in the foot. Satan, you've got to take your hands off of God's people. The blood of Jesus is against you. The debt has been paid. We have the right to use the name of Jesus. And it's the name of Jesus we send it out across this congregation, across the world right now. In Jesus' name, in Jesus. The sweetest the sweetest name I know. Oh, what a lovely name. And each is the same. As his holy name. And that's the reason why I love Once more, just love him with all your heart. Well, my Jesus, the sweetest, the sweetest name. Hallelujah. I can just feel him well up on the inside of me. Oh, it's not a sensation, but I'm glad I can feel it. I wouldn't take nothing. Greatest thing there is. For 
more time. Yes, my Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us here. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us safe this far. Thank you, Lord, for being with us every step of the journey. Thank you that you've proven yourself the same.